A Psalm of David. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed are those whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds those who trust in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. The word of the Lord. So Matthew's going to come and bring us his reflections on that psalm. And let's pray for him and for ourselves before we hear him speak. Our loving Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that so much of human experience is captured in your word in the Psalms. And we thank you that we have been gifted them down the centuries. We thank you for the comfort and the counsel that they bring. And we pray for Matthew this morning as he seeks to open up Psalm 32 for us. We pray that he will hear and speak your words by the power of your spirit and that we will hear you speaking to each of us and into our lives through them. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Good morning to those who are going to be listening to this talk on our Listen Again um, site. It's good to be able to welcome you all this morning. We began our journey through the Psalms um, a couple of weeks back as we explored what it is to be rooted in in God. And we looked at that whole theme of of rootedness from Psalm 1. And many commentators on the scriptures write of the Psalms that Psalm 1 is actually, if you like, a preface to the whole of the Psalter, which is the sort of collective name for the book of Psalms. And so right at the beginning of, of, of the Psalter is this psalm which implores us to be rooted through, through our prayer, through our meditating on God's word um, in God. Um, and that's where we are sustained and grounded. And to be rooted in God is to live in the flow of his spirit and his purposes for our lives. However, the Psalms and the psalmists who wrote them uh, fire several warning shots our way about the things that will lead us astray from God. 
But at the same time, as well as the warning shots, comes the means of return. The Psalms don't leave us languishing. They give us a means of return to the Father's heart. And so in Psalm 32, we see David tell us, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed are those whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And I think in this psalm, David is wrestling with the power of guilt and the wonder of God's forgiving love. Guilt is one of those powerful emotions which permeates our whole lives. It's that whisper in our ear which doesn't leave us until we do something about it. And perhaps the biggest problem with guilt is it holds us back from experiencing the rooted life, the spirit-filled life that God calls us to live. And we need to be aware of the things that engender these, these feelings of, of guilt, feeling, you know, and things such as envy, lust, anger, resentment, or other sins that build up in our lives in just the same way. And I'm going to challenge myself as I speak to you this morning because there's a physical parallel to this, which, you know, you can laugh at, I'm not going to stop you from laughing, but there's, a, there's an important point in this which is that just as poor diet and a lack of exercise cause cholesterol to build up in our system over many years and all the health concerns that come from that, so emotions like guilt can build up in our lives in, su- in just the same way and can begin to eat away at our soul. And one of the greatest casualties of guilt in our lives is, is that sometimes we don't know the way out of feelings of guilt. We get entrapped by it. And it distorts our view of God and his forgiving love. And so our souls begin to languish as we allow, our, as we allow lives by the evil one to be sown into our lives that our sin is way too great to be included in God's love or that we're not worthy or don't merit God's forgiveness, which, of course, is is also true. But the doubt gets sown into our lives. And so, to keep on repeating, one of the reasons that I wanted us to explore the book of Psalms this term is that we meet these emotions like guilt head-on. We learn, uh, as David did, that to expose guilt in our lives uh, and to expose sin in our lives is not to attract condemnation, but to allow God to forgive us and heal us. Listen to his experience of when guilt causes David to conceal his sin. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. The Psalms often paint, often at the beginning of the Psalm, um, a picture of life languishing without God. And here we have this image of King David, one of the great heroes of the Scriptures, someone who, you know, if you were asked to say, you know, who is your hero in the Bible, so many people would say King David. And yet we, here we have one of these great biblical heroes bearing his life, warts and all, before God. 
He's languishing under the weight of guilt and sin. And it's fundamentally not a picture of the life God calls us to live. And David goes on in the psalm to find the courage to bear his heart before God. The guilt and the sin that is concealed or he believes he's concealing from God. He bears it before him. And in doing so, he finds a God who does not compound his guilt, but opens up David's life to the flow of God's grace to work within it. David finds that in lifting up, if you like, to the light, the guilt and the sin that befall him, he finds God's love and forgiveness and protection and even joy. God takes David from a place of languishing to a place of life. So jump into the end of the psalm, we find the words, Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds those who trust in him. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. And I want, based on this realisation from David, that in holding up the reality of his sin and and indeed our sin to God, we can discover forgiveness, love and grace afresh. I want to suggest three things that characterise forgiveness in the Bible. Firstly, identity. David tells us that when he concealed his sin from God... His bones were wasting away. He felt overwhelmed and he had no strength. And I want to ask you this morning, does this resonate with the plan and purpose that God gives and shapes our life with? Or or to go from Jeremiah to the words of Paul, does it resonate with the scripture which reads, and this is from 2 Corinthians 5, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. We were not created to be a people who languish and waste away, but a body of people joined together by our common faith uh, and the grace of God to live a life of fullness in Christ. And and if you want to take away one thing with you this morning, I want you to remember this, that guilt distorts, but forgiveness reveals. Guilt distorts, but forgiveness reveals. Guilt and sin, as David highlights, present a vision of life that is not attractive. Whereas David, uh, living in God's forgiveness allows us to realise for ourselves and present to others a vision of what life in God is like. Forgiveness then becomes a gift that we model because of Jesus' action on the cross. And it makes people ask why. Why as a people are Christians able to forgive perhaps more readily? Why do you you place confession and forgiveness at the centre of your worship? Why is that so important? And it allows conversations to begin that allow us to draw in people to the kingdom and the attractiveness of the life that God calls us to live. How is it possible for people who don't know Jesus to move beyond the entrapment of sin and guilt and no forgiveness? Because of Jesus because of what Christ has already done on the cross. 
because of him, because in his love, because of his death and sacrifice on the cross, the distortion of sin and guilt is eradicated, and a new life has been revealed to us, where people who accept Jesus as Lord are freed and protected and loved. Our identity is in Christ. We are a forgiven people. We are protected in Christ as David found Christ to be his hiding place, his place of refuge. And in modeling this forgiven life, we find something that is deeply attractive to the world around us. No longer a picture, a portrait of languishing life, but now a picture of a forgiven, free, joyous life in all its fullness. So identity. Secondly, restoration. When David revealed his guilt and accepted the reality of his sin and held it up to God, he found restoration. He said these words from from the psalm. I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. If you want to flick on into the New Testament, into the Gospel of Luke and chapter 15, you'll find the parable of the prodigal son. That's Luke chapter 15. And there comes in that parable the moment of self-realization that life away from the Father, initially filled with riches and hedonistic pleasures and you know partying and all of that, life away from the Father has gone horribly, cataclysmically wrong. And there's a point of self-realization, it comes in verse 17, if you're in Luke chapter 15, where he, where he says this, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. Echoes of David, perhaps, in Psalm 32, bones wasting away, feelings of being overwhelmed, the harsh reality of life hitting David and the prodigal son in the face, strength fading fast. Let's remain in Luke 15 for a few more moments. The realization of the son's predicament in a place where he no longer wanted to be, in a place which wasn't attractive to the son or to anyone, brings about a resolution to change. I will go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Then comes the beauty of restoration. The son gets up, puts his resolution into practice and travels back to his father. The father sees the return of his son from a distance and rushes to meet him. Dignity is thrown out of the window and the God of all love rushes to meet and embrace a broken life. The beauty of restoration. Seeking forgiveness allows us back into the flow of God's Spirit and allows God's healing to be at work in our lives. Identity and restoration. Thirdly, renewal. Forgiveness is a powerful act 
because it forces us to go beyond ourselves and our own agendas. It forces us to lay aside wrongs that have been done to us or that we've done to others and to God. And it forces us to place the desire to live back in God's purposes above our desire not to change. It's a powerful, it's a powerful act. And there is healing when we move beyond ourselves because it opens the door to an increase in dependence on God and his ways. Back to the psalm in verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Forgiveness opens the door to depending on God and walking in the ways he's laid out for us. The prophet Isaiah spoke, For your thoughts are not my thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Forgiveness is ultimately an act of transformation. Just as guilt is powerful, so is the act of forgiving others or receiving forgiveness from others or from God. Forgiveness is transformative. It sets us free from the power of guilt. It brings new life. And fundamentally, it stops the lies that guilt sows into our lives from taking root. Paul writes this in Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And one of the things with guilt and with sin is that we become very, very clever and almost gifted at hiding it. We can hide it in the shadow places of our lives. We hide it within ourselves, and we're very good sometimes at not letting anyone else see it. And I think to go back to what King David realized in the psalm is that the person we really have to be honest with, or the two people we really have to be honest with, is ourselves, and that moment of realization of our own predicament has to come to mind. But then God, and the realization that we need to stand before God in the knowledge of love, not condemnation, in the knowledge of freedom, not judgment, and say, just like the prodigal son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. But by grace, God will accept us and rush towards us and embrace the brokenness of our lives, and bring healing and transformation. Let's pray together. Father, it can so often scare us that the psalmist elsewhere in the Psalter writes, you search us and you know us. You know every hair of our head, you know every word on our lips. You know the thoughts in our minds. You know the secrets of our hearts. And Lord, we acknowledge before you this morning that some of those, some of those thoughts and words, some of those behaviours that we do, 
will not be of you. And Father, we seek to hold up to you the rawness of our lives. We seek to lay bare our hearts before you and invite your Spirit to come and bring healing and transformation. And Lord, bring about that revelation of your love and grace that we may stand before you not in fear, but knowing that you are a God who rushes to meet us and embraces us in all of our brokenness so that you may take our brokenness and renew us further and further into your image. In the Old Testament, the altars were places where God called people to make sacrifice. And part of the nature of sacrifice is giving things up. And we're going to share communion together today. And just as, as our communion table altar is a sign and symbol of God's sacrifice for us, so we are invited to lay down our lives afresh each time we come to it and offer our very selves back.